This is the Sunday Catholic Word, a production of Catholic Answers, the only podcast to look at the Sunday Mass readings from an apologetics perspective. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sunday Catholic Word, a podcast where we reflect on the upcoming Sunday Mass readings and pick out the details that are relevant for explaining and defending our Catholic faith. I'm Carlo Broussard, staff apologist and speaker for Catholic Answers and the host for this podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at five details that have some connection to doing apologetics. Four of the five come from the gospel and one from the second reading. So let's start with the gospel reading, which is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. It's a bit long, so I'll be reading it kind of quickly to get through it here. And here's what we read. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18 here, As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who is called Peter and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked alone from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and curing every disease and illness among the people. Okay, so the first detail from this gospel reading that has some apologetical value is Matthew's quotation of Isaiah's prophecy taken from Isaiah chapter 8, verses, verse 23 through chapter 9, verse 3, which is the first reading for this Sunday's Liturgy of the Word. So here we are able to draw upon the connection between the first reading and the gospel for our purposes here in this podcast. Zebulon and Naphtali are two Israelite tribes that were ransacked by the Assyrian invasion from 733 to 732 BC. There in 2 Kings 15.29 is recorded there. You can check it out. Isaiah prophesies of a time when God will restore hope to this region and restore Israel. Isaiah goes on a few verses later in verse 7 to describe this restoration as the restoration of the Davidic kingdom with a son of David sitting on an everlasting throne. Here's what Isaiah prophesies in chapter 9, verse 7, quote, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Matthew links Jesus' residence in Capernaum and ministry in Galilee as part of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy for two reasons. First, Capernaum is a town that's north of the Sea of Galilee where the land of Zebulun and Naphtali intersect. So it's the right location for the prophecy. Second, Matthew reports that Jesus went about Galilee doing what? Preaching about the kingdom. 
For example, immediately after quoting Isaiah's prophecy, Matthew records that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there in 4.17. He re-emphasizes the kingdom motif in verse 23 of the same chapter, writing, and Jesus went around all Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So you have the geographical location in place, and you have the kingdom motif in place. So Jesus is preaching about his kingdom in a land where the prophet Isaiah foretold that God would restore the Davidic kingdom, a time when all of Israel was united. This is Matthew's apology, his defense, right? He's doing apologetics here. (laughs) So we just got to look to what Matthew's doing in apologetics for our apologetics podcast. This is Matthew's apology for Jesus's messiahship. He is, Jesus is the great light restoring the Davidic kingdom and reuniting the lost tribes of Israel. That is what Matthew is trying to persuade his audience about. And that is what we can persuade our audience about, using Matthew's line of argumentation to show that Jesus is the true Messiah, the Messianic King. All right, the second detail from this gospel reading that's used sometimes in apologetical discussions is Matthew's reference to Jesus healing every disease and every infirmity among the people. There in chapter 4, verse 23. It serves as one among several non-narrative attestations, or attestations, mispronounced that, sorry, attestations to Jesus's healing ministry. Historians they use a variety of criteria for assessing the historicity of a saying or event in ancient literature. One of the criterion is what's called multiple attestation. This refers to the principle that the more often an event or saying appears in independent sources, the more probable its historicity. Now, when it comes to the historical evidence for Jesus' healing ministry, this criterion is met. It's satisfied. Not only is Jesus' miracles multiply attested by specific narratives, but there are also many non-narrative references or passing references to Jesus' healings. This line from Matthew counts as one of those non-narrative references. Whether it could be counted as independent of Luke or not is something that's subject to debate. For those scholars who believe that Matthew and Luke shared a common source that Mark did not use called Q, which refers to quell, the German word for source, then they're not going to see this as independent of Luke's account of these deeds in Galilee. And you can cross-reference Luke 4, 40-44. Although it would be independent of Mark in Mark chapter 1, verses 32-39. through 39. But if the Q theory is not true, well then this would count as an independent non-narrative reference to Jesus the healer. So Matthew's reference to Jesus's healing ministry here has apologetical value concerning the reliability of the historical record that Jesus was a healer. Now there are two more details that are relevant for doing apologetics and they both have to do with Peter and Andrew, which is part of the gospel reading here. The first of the two has to do with Peter and Andrew's residence. Here's the problem, or the alleged problem, I should say. Notice that Matthew records Peter and Andrew mending their nets at the Sea of Galilee, seemingly the implication being that they work in Galilee, 
and thereby must live somewhere nearby. Mark confirms this suspicion in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 29, where he tells us that Jesus entered Peter and Andrew's house in Capernaum, a town near the Sea of Galilee, to heal Simon's mother-in-law. But this would seem to contradict John chapter 1, verse 44. There, we read that Bethsaida was, quote, the city of Andrew and Peter, close quote. So the question is, how could John say that Andrew and Peter are from Bethsaida, yet Matthew and Mark record them as being from Capernaum? There seems to be a contradiction here. Are these gospel authors contradicting each other? Here's a few things that we can say in response. First, Matthew and Mark don't record Peter and Andrew as being from Capernaum, only that they were living in Capernaum at the time when Jesus called them to leave their job and follow him. This being the case, there's no contradiction here. In order for there to be a contradiction, Matthew and Mark would have to have said they are from Capernaum in order to contradict John, who says they were from Bethsaida. Since Matthew and Mark do not record Peter and Andrew as being from Capernaum, there's no contradiction. Second, there are plausible explanations for the difference. Although there's no contradiction, there is a difference. And what are some plausible explanations for the difference? One is that Peter and Andrew could have had dual residence. Another is that they could have moved to Capernaum, possibly to care for Peter's mother-in-law. And this option would make sense, given that the Gospels record Peter's house in Capernaum as being where Peter's mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. Peter was living with his mom-in-law in Capernaum, right? And this strongly suggests that he moved there to care for her. He was being a good son-in-law. <laughs> he was caring for his mother-in-law, right? Something that we can all learn from. Okay, I got a great mother-in-law, by the way. So just because Peter and Andrew were from Bethsaida, it doesn't mean that Matthew and Mark's record of them both living in Capernaum with Peter's mother-in-law is a contradiction. The other detail that has to do with Peter and Andrew, and the fourth detail in this episode, is Jesus' meeting with them. So the first one had to do with their residence. This one has to do with Jesus meeting them. Here's the problem, or the apparent problem. Notice that Jesus meets them while they're mending their nets and then calls them to follow him. Yet John's record of Jesus meeting Andrew and Peter in John 1, 40 through 42 includes details that seems to contradict Matthew's account. For example, the first detail is that Andrew meets Jesus first and then goes and gets Peter. Matthew has Jesus meeting them both at the same time, right? So John, Andrew meets Jesus first, then goes and gets Peter. Matthew has Jesus meeting them both at the same time. The other detail is that John tells us that Andrew was already following Jesus and then went and got Peter. But Matthew here seems to imply that Andrew was not already following Jesus. So how do we make sense of all this? Well, there are two things we can say in response. First, the objection assumes that Matthew is recording the first time that Jesus met Peter and Andrew. But that's not necessarily the case. John could have been recording the first time that Jesus met with Peter and Andrew, a time when they didn't yet definitively leave their jobs and begin following Jesus, and Matthew's recording the later time when they did leave their jobs and start to follow Jesus in a definitive way. Now, someone might counter and say, well, 
The way that Matthew's describing the meeting here indicates that this is the first time. Notice that Matthew introduces Andrew and Peter as brothers, the implication being that his readers didn't already know that fact. Also, Matthew introduces them as fishermen. In response, Matthew has these introductory details because he left out of his narrative the first meeting that Jesus had with them, a meeting that John does record. Hence, the need for Matthew to introduce these guys to his readers. So it's one thing for Matthew to be um, introducing them for the first time to his readers, and another thing for Jesus to be meeting them for the first time, right? Two different things here. So for Matthew, because he hadn't had the first introduction between Jesus and Andrew and Peter in his narrative, he's got to introduce these guys. Now, the second response here to the objection is this. John doesn't say that Andrew followed Jesus in a definitive way. All John tells us is that Andrew stayed with Jesus that day in John 139. Because recall, the objection is saying, hey, uh, Matthew is saying that Andrew was uh, going with Jesus in a definitive way. John is recording how Jesus is meeting Andrew. But notice the assumption there is that Andrew is following Jesus in a definitive way there in John, but that's not the case. John just simply says, Andrew went and stayed with Jesus that day. Moreover, when John reports that Andrew got Peter and brought him to Jesus, John never mentions that Peter started following Jesus. He only records Jesus telling Simon, you are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, there in John 1.42. So yet again, the objection makes an assumption that is not correct. So we have plausible reasons as to why John's record and Matthew's record of Jesus meeting Peter and Andrew are two different events. John's record being their first meeting when they don't yet follow Jesus in a definitive way, and Matthew's record being their second meeting when Andrew and Peter do begin to follow Jesus in a definitive way. So there's no contradiction here. Okay, now we come to the second reading and our fifth apologetical detail that we're going to look at in this episode. The second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, and here's what Paul writes. I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are rival rivalries among you. I mean that each of you is saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This passage has relevance for doing apologetics because it serves as an interpretive context for meeting a challenge that arises from four verses later in 1 Corinthians 1.17. There, Paul writes this, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Some Christians argue that Paul here is dissociating baptism from the gospel. And this being the case, so it's argued, baptism can't be necessary for salvation, which is contrary to what the Catholic Church teaches in paragraph 1257 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I deal with this challenge in my book, Meeting the Protestant Challenge, How to Answer 50 Biblical Objections to Catholic Beliefs, 
Uh, but I'll share a bit here with you of what I talk about in the book. So I, I would recommend you get the book and read this chapter to get more details. The key response is that the challenge confuses the duty to administer the rite of baptism with baptism being essential to the gospel. Paul doesn't say that baptism is not essential to the gospel. What does and doesn't constitute the gospel is not Paul's concern here. Rather, he's concerned with the administration of baptism. And here's where what Paul says in the second reading for this upcoming Sunday Liturgy of the Word comes into play. Paul's addressing a problem that arose in the Corinthian church where some were identifying themselves with particular ministers and thus causing division within the community. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brethren. What I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ, right? In subsequent verses, verses 13 through 14, Paul gives a hint as to why the Corinthians were identifying themselves with different ministers. Were you baptized in the name of Paul, he says? I'm thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that you were baptized in my name. Apparently, the Corinthians were adopting religious affiliations based on the minister who baptized them. Consequently, Paul expresses gratitude that he hadn't baptized more people than he did among the Corinthians, lest they affiliate themselves with him, as opposed to with Jesus, right? He writes there in verses 14 through 15, I'm thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Verse 15, lest anyone should say that you were baptized in my name. It's within this context that Paul says in the next verse, verse 17, or at least two verses later in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. His intent is not to separate the sacrament of baptism from the gospel, but rather to clarify his own part in the administration of the actual rite of baptism among Christians. So Paul's teaching in the second reading has relevance for conversations about baptism. It provides, yet again, provides an interpretive context for us meeting the challenge that arises against the church's teaching on the necessity of baptism from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Well, my friends, that does it for this episode of the Sunday Catholic Word. Uh, recall, we talked about five things today. We first had an opportunity to talk about Jesus' messiahship. We talked about the historicity of Jesus' healing ministry. We talked about an alleged contradiction concerning Andrew and Peter's residence, an alleged contradiction as to the nature of Jesus' meeting with Andrew and Peter, and the necessity of baptism for salvation. Thank you for subscribing, my friends, to the podcast, and please be sure to tell your family members and friends about it and invite them to subscribe as well. Again, I'm Carlo Broussard, staff apologist and speaker for Catholic Answers, the host of this podcast. I hope and pray that you have a great third Sunday of Ordinary Time. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Catholic Word. Find more great shows by visiting catholicanswerspodcasts.com or just search for Catholic Answers wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.